0: What is happening, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Monday Morning Blues. I'm your host, Christian Hansen. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to check out our website as well, www.themondaymorningblues.com. There you're going to find out the next four weeks' guest on our show, information on all of them, and much, much more. So be sure to stay tuned, stay updated, subscribe, and keep the blues alive. alive. Live and well. What is happening, guys? Today we have uh, Jose Ramirez on the show. This is a special Fourth of July episode. Uh, Obviously, we always release an episode on Monday, hence the name Monday Morning Blues. But I think today's episode is certainly fitting because of the fact of what he's accomplished and who he's received praise from. Uh, 32-year-old Jose Ramirez, Costa Rican native, is a hell of a blues guitarist, finished second at the IBC, which is basically like the March Madness of blues. It's a large, uh, it's called the International Blues Challenge, and it's a massive tournament style um, musician thing, and he finished second. His debut album came out this year, and he's 32 years old um general mattis one of the the you know the the highest ranking military officials in the country one of them um has shown support for jose and i think a lot of it has to be to the fact because he spent time in dc for a little bit um perhaps that's where he picked up that um recognition but uh I have no clue. I'll find out today, actually. It is uh Sunday, June 28th. Um, we're about eight minutes away from the interview, and I'll get some answers on some things that I'm really, really, really trying to figure out. I'm excited. Um, Hopefully, you guys are, too. This is an episode that's going to be premiering on 4th of July. Again, like I said, I think it's incredibly fitting to have this episode release you can find his new album right now on all streaming platforms and you can buy a copy yourself on his website it's called here i come the jose ramirez blues band here's my interview with jose ramirez First and foremost, thank you so much for taking your time out to do this with me. I appreciate it thoroughly.
1: Definitely. No, thank you for having me. It's been, uh, it's been exciting and it's going to be a good
0: one. For sure. I have to ask, everyone's been dealing with this pandemic differently. What has the past four months been like for you, especially musicians and especially blues musicians? How have you been able to cope and deal with with this horrible thing?
1: Well, Christian, you know, it's been, yeah, I, I agree. It's been difficult for everybody. And I think the music industry is going to be one of the last industries to recover from this. Uh, and especially the blues industry is so small uh, and it needs so much support on a regular basis that, including this pandemic or, or thinking about this pandemic, it has affected the blues industry in a very, very, um bad, bad way. It's just really, really deep. Um, and we're all in this together. Right. We're just trying to hang, hang on to stay, staying safe and, and being insane in our heads. Um, but yeah, last four months for me personally have been a little, it's just overwhelming, you know, uh, not being able to tour. Uh, uh, I had all these plans for 2020. It was supposed to be a great year. Right. Uh, and We'll talk about all of those things later. But, yeah, I mean, we're just trying to cope with what's happening and we're just hoping we can stay safe. That's the most important thing. And then hopefully this will start moving along at some point, you know.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, the, it's not as much of, you know, being safe. It's feeling comfortable again too. being able to go to a place and play live music with large crowds. That's more of a mental thing that's going to be really hard for anyone to get over
1: it really is difficult. Um, we just played our first show after after three three months wow. last week here in Florida, and it just felt weird, you know, having the club be run around a 50% capacity, mm. uh, having people not being able to get close to you to say hi, um, having to wear a mask as soon as I left the stage. Right. All that stuff, it just feels so unnatural, you know?
0: absolutely now when i was on facebook i think it was a few weeks back i came across your post about the general mr mattis how the hell did that happened like i i saw that and i i at first i swiped past it and then i go wait, wait 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 i think i know this guy and i mean that's incredible
1: yeah well it's uh he's he's uh he is a good he's a music aficionado himself mm-hmm. and um um, based on some contacts that I that I've made, I was able to just send him a copy. I I didn't know if he was going to even pay attention to that right. packet or not, and he happened to just open it and he listened
0: to it and he decided he wanted to support me by just sending a photo of it. That's incredible. I mean, not only is that incredible, it's your debut album and you got you got the support of the man. I mean, that's that's unreal. I I I still can't believe that. I mean, that's just <laughs> wow! Props to you. Now, when you were growing up, were you an only child in uh, back home?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm an only child. Um, wow.
0: Born and raised in Costa Rica, and uh, it was—it's always been just me. Just you. What was the music scene out there in Costa Rica like, as far as the blues go? I'm sure it was a more Latin-based and Cuban-esque per se type of uh, music scene. How did you find the blues in in that community?
1: yeah it was it was difficult um really there was no blues at all when i was growing up in my country so my dad had to really make sure that i could learn it from somewhere Uh, and he was in charge of uh, buying my first blues records so that i could start listening to it because when i was around 12 or 13 years old i showed interest in picking up a guitar and playing a guitar Mm -hmm. That was the one who said, you know what? Yeah, you you can learn to play the guitar, but if you're really serious about that, you have to listen to a type of music that's called the blues, because that's the root of everything that we listen to nowadays. So he wouldn't let me pick up a guitar at first. He had me just listening to blues music for a long time, and, and then I was able to pick up a guitar and start noodling around. But
0: he was, he was the reason why I, I got into this. For sure, what was the dynamic though, as music interest goes within the family? Were you and your father the only ones who really garnered interest within the blues, or was it more of a whole household type thing?
1: Well, when it comes to blues, it was yeah, it was pretty much just me and my dad uh, because he knew I was interested in playing guitar uh, but my family, both my parents, have always been around good music. They are no musicians whatsoever. <laughs> But um, they, they used to run a restaurant, a bar, when I was a kid in Costa Rica. And their specialty was like American oldies music. So I remember um, being behind the bar, um, listening to all the music that my dad was playing for his clients, for wow. a customers. So it was a lot of Motown music, a lot of Stax, Stevie Wonder, uh, The Temptations, The Four Tops,
0: Ray Charles. So I was, I don't know, four or five years old that listening to all of that every day, you know, every day. Yeah. And that goes back to what I was I was going to ask is your dad let you had you listen to it before you decided to pick up the guitar. What was the moment or who was the artist that says, you know what, dad, I'm ready. I want to I want to do this. Who was the artist that pushed you over the edge to finally pick it up?
1: I, I mean, I, I guess it's going to sound um Cheesy because everybody says this, but it had to be BB King. Yeah, it had to be BB. Yeah. You know? uh, I remember the first couple of albums that my dad brought home when I was a kid. Blues albums were a Greatest Hits by BB King, mm. an RCA collection, I think. And then he brought home a double CD album by John Lee Hooker. Mm. Um, so those two albums were really, really critical for my. I mean, having me being interested in doing this for a living, I told my dad. Uh, eventually, he showed me a video. I think it was a VHS, BB <laughs> King. And um, at some point, he also, I remember, now that I'm thinking about it, he bought a, a DVD that was BB King Blues Summit. Mm. And uh, Buddy Guy was on it, and Albert Collins was on it, and Robert Cray was on it. And I was like, that's it. That That's
0: that's what I want to do. That's it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah, everyone has those has those artists that got them into it. For me, it was Kenny Wayne Shepherd, But B.B. King oh. seems to be the one that I mean, you can't go wrong with B.B. King. I mean, you really can't. He's the best. Now, I know your grandfather had this 1974 acoustic nylon string guitar. Were you aware as how incredible of an instrument that was when you were younger, when you began playing with something like that? Or did you just not even understand what you were holding?
1: You know, I, it was a funny story because I used to go visit my my grandparents when I was a kid and I would see that old guitar in the back of his workshop. He had a workshop and I never really paid attention to it. Um, when I started when I started high school, first year of high school, all my friends were playing electric guitars and, and they were all buying like Fender guitars and guitar pedals. And I'm like, wow, what is all that? The only um memory I had of a guitar was that old guitar that my grandpa had in his workshop. And, um, apparently my dad told him, he's like the kid wants a guitar and you have that guitar laying around there. Once you fix it, like refurbish that guitar for him. And my grandpa did, he refurbished wow. it. He gave it to me. I still have it. Um, and it just became my, my very first instrument. You, know? you
0: mentioned you still have it. Do you still play it?
1: I play. I don't have it here with me in the states. I have it at my house at my parents' house in Costa Rica. But every time I go visit,
0: I make sure I sit down in, in the living room with that guitar for a couple hours at least. Oh, that's awesome! Since we're on the topic of, of guitars, what is your number one right now?
1: Oh man, uh, I was afraid you'd ask me that because <laughs> they get they get resentful if I just if I just say one but um i only have 3 guitars um that i work with i i i'm not a guitar uh, collector too expensive. or anything like that. they're too expensive i can't handle it i'm just a blues musician uh but uh i have a fender i have a stratocaster i have a telecaster and i have a gibson 335 i think the 3 of them are very different and they give me different things that i need for for different songs um like for example, for the latest album, I use them all uh, in a very equal amount. Uh, but for live shows, lately, I've been leaning towards using my Stratocaster a lot. Because mm-hmm. um, lately, you know how we all have like faces and cycles in right. life. Lately, for the past two years, maybe a year, year and a half, I've been listening to a lot of Anson Thunderbird and Jimmy Vaughn. Oh, yeah. And... That clean, straight-to-the-amp Stratocaster uh, reverb sound. It's, it's I've been listening to a lot of that uh, Junior Watson playing electric guitar as well, or a Strat. Uh,
0: so that's, right now, that's where I'm, where I'm at. The interesting thing about the guitars is, like, when I look at a guy like Eric Johnson, he could pick up any guitar in the entire world, and I've seen him do it with a Gibson Les Paul. He can get the cleanest of clean tone with a Gibson Les Paul. His tone, every guitar he plays, it sounds the same what goes into the to the decision-making process when picking a different guitar? Because it's still the same person playing it. Is there really that huge of a sound difference for you in your ears um, when choosing what to use on each song?
1: You know, to me personally, the sound doesn't change that much. What really changes is the action in the guitar. Mm, okay. Um, I, do have, I, I do have the action in each guitar a little different. Uh, I do use 12 uh, gauge strings on every guitar that I own uh but just the action how high how low the strings are how how thick or how thin the the neck of the guitar is that's what's different to me I don't I do listen to a difference in sound but I don't focus on that as much if I'm playing a slow blues like a mellow B.B. King slow blues I'm going to go for my Gibson cuz that's what sounded more like that's what's going to sound more like B.B. Um, but if I'm just playing like a Texas kind of
0: shuffle, I, I'm going to approach it with a, with a sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And then obviously when you're going towards more of a mighty, you're probably going to go towards that telly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. The more, the more, sometimes when I do, I, I was up until recently, I was doing my Facebook lives uh, on Tuesday nights and sometimes I wanted to do something that was Delta blues, but without my acoustic mm. guitar. I would pick my telly and just go to the bottom right position of my pickup because that gives me that
0: twang, you know? Right. Absolutely. Now let's talk about the International Blues Challenge. What was that experience like? I mean, for those who don't know, the IBC is basically the March Madness of, you know, blues musicians. I mean, to, from where you come from in life, I mean, you're just, you're 32 now to, to, to accomplish what you did at where you are in life. I mean what was that had to be quite a trip? What was that like?
1: Wow, Christian, that was I still today I mean well, we are five, six months after the competition, mm-hmm. still wake up in the morning, and i's one of the first things I think about is I remember me and my band, the guys on that stage at the Orpheum in Memphis, competing at the very last stage of the competition. You know it was that night at the Orpheum, I felt like. Thing, I mean, everything that I've been through in life, all the sacrifice, you know, was was paid, uh, was worth going through. That night was like the big prize was handed to me, even though we came in second place. I felt like I won the competition because coming from such a small country as Costa Rica with no blues music around me while growing up. Right. But these but the albums uh, oh. having to. Having left my family in Costa Rica a few years ago, everybody behind me, all the life that I knew, I'm just coming here with taking a leap of faith, basically, Mm -hmm. and hoping things would turn out fine. And uh, it's just been very, very rough few years. Um, People usually just see the successful stuff on my social media because I I treat my social media as my business. I don't, I don't, too personal on my social media. So people really don't get to know what I've been through, but I've been through quite a lot of things and, and I always tell people, well, I may have not uh I, I maybe didn't what I maybe was not born in the Mississippi back in right. the twenties. I didn't I don't know what that suffering is like. I could never begin to imagine what that was like. But I've had my own battles and my own difficulties to get to where I am. So that night at the Orpheum uh coming in second place at the IBC was really it was an honor. And it was just a paid off kind
0: of thing, you know. For sure. Now you touched on struggles and battles earlier in life. What were some of those and what was one that really kind of molded you into the person and musician that you are today?
1: Well, there's been a few of those. um, And and there still are a few of those. It's so
0: hard to pinpoint. But if there was one that you can really touch on, what would that be?
1: Wow. I I think – I think that one of the things that have made me successful in my career today is being so persistent when wanting something in life. Mm. Uh, But being so persistent comes with a price. I think the one thing that's made me so persistent and that's made me um, succeed at it is having made the decision three, four years ago to leave my parents. I'm an Mm. only child. So leaving my parents behind, uh, being so close to them for all of my life,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: leaving them behind and going through a lot of struggles here in America in order to make it work and having my parents support me from from a distance. You know, like they've always supported me 100 percent, even the hardest times and the more most difficult times. They've always called me on the phone and they're like, you have to keep doing this. We believe in you. You're strong. Don't give up, you'll make it one day. you'll see, so that persistence is not it hasn't been just mine, it has been my parents as well, and I think that's been the one sacrifice that i've that I've made in life that has shaped me as as a human being you know
0: absolutely now that move to leave home obviously was coming to to the states was that a a strategic move to really pursue what you what you want and what you're doing, music. And what was the landing spot for you when you came? Was it D.C.? Wasn't it D.C. at first or no?
1: It wasn't D.C. It was actually right where I am now. I was Tampa, Florida. Okay. Florida the first time. And that was uh, almost four years ago. Uh, and how that happened was I was – I pretty much touched a wall or hit a wall in Costa Rica as far as trying to become a blues musician because there was no – audience for that. There was mm-hmm. no environment for that at all. Uh, there was there was no market. So after maybe 12, 15 years of trying to become a blues musician in Costa Rica, I uh, started my own dance. Uh, I started the first ever blues jam there's ever been in Costa Rica, and I ran it for like three years. Wow. Uh, produced a couple of smaller, small-scale blues festivals, and uh, that one last festival I produced in Costa Rica before I came to, the, to America I booked, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Debbie Davies.
0: I am not, unfortunately. I'll have to check it out.
1: Yeah, she she was Albert Collins' guitar player. Oh, wow. And uh, she's still going strong. And I booked her to headline my festival in Costa Rica, all the way from California. And when she was in Costa Rica, my band was backing her up. Wow. We learned all of her material, and, and she was the headliner. She did amazing. Um, But I remember... We had a we had a conversation in the green room before we came out on stage for that last festival, and Debbie said, "You know what, Jose? You remind me of Albert. You remind me of my boss and how 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 committed he was to wow. the business. He was really uh, business centered. And you are just like him. Unfortunately, I don't see that in your country. People are appreciating that. I believe that if you if you were to move to the states." you would have a shot because you have a story, you're business focused, you're business centered and you're talented. Why don't you go ahead and move to the States? Mm -hmm. When Debbie Davis says that to you, you're like, well, maybe she's right. (laughs) Um, So I started just that night. I really started thinking about it. And after a couple of months of talking to my parents about it, I decided to move to Tampa, Florida. Um, That was almost four years ago. That's where it all started.
0: Wow. Now, when you're trying to make this this career and this journey as a blues man, why tampa? i mean people generally people would assume Memphis, a chicago yeah. a um even a, a Georgia or a you know a New York where you have mm-hmm. like the iridium and places like that that are jazz blues centric why tampa? was there really a was there a is there a blues a, a really nice blues base in that area?
1: Well, at first I didn't know there was um, the reason why I came here at first is because I have some family here. My, my godmother lives here okay. in Tampa uh, and she was the only one who really said, well, you know what? I want to I want to help you out. I want to help you follow your dream. You can come stay at my place at first so you can, you know, see if you can work with a band or get yourself started in the industry. So she gave me a break for a couple months. She let me stay at her place and for that I will always be grateful uh, but once I landed here, I realized, and I started um, doing a re- little research on blues in Florida, and it turns out Florida is the state with more, with the most blues festivals. Wow! In the uh, there's so many blues festivals. There's, I believe, nine or ten blues societies up and down Florida. Wow! And there's a lot of blues clubs, and you know how Florida is famous for retired people. Mm. Retired people love, love the blues. The blues yeah. So they come here and they start their blues societies and their blues clubs and there's blues festivals on a monthly basis, of course, before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But there there really are blues festivals on a monthly basis in this state. And um, I came to find out and I was I was happy as soon as I, so I started discovering that there was a big in, uh, blues industry here.
0: Absolutely. Now, when you look at the music industry and the way the blue is viewed on a mainstream level like the Grammys, do you ever feel frustrated that the blues doesn't get the same amount of focus and appreciation than that of hop, hip hop and R&B genres, to name a few?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I've I've learned I've lived with that since I was a kid myself. I mean, uh, I consider myself to always be like the underdog. Yeah. And the blues itself is kind of the underdog in the in the music industry um i I was born and raised in costa rica and growing up and being in high school i always tell this story when i'm on stage to the audience is i never had a girlfriend in high school me because i i I chose you know i chose the blues and i just played that music and that made me that made me a weird kid But uh, I, people always laugh at me at shows, and it, it's fine. It's supposed to be that way. But now it's paid off. You know, right. I found that dream. Uh, but yeah, it, it is frustrating to me on a personal perspective to see that the blues is really not that important. And, it's, and it is such an important treasure, American treasure, and it should be valued as such. And sometimes I go play shows in Europe, and I see how much they support and respect. Oh God, the blues. Yeah. And I and sometimes I wish it would be the same in different countries, including in America, Right. You know?
0: Yeah. It's just like soccer and the appreciation that it gets here. It's we don't give it anything here. Um we give it yeah. we give it attention every four years, sometimes if we make it, but usually it's hit and miss. But um, it, it's wild. And another thing that's been driving me crazy and I actually asked Tom Hainbridge the same question, um, is the concept of the creation of music. Every I feel like more and more people are pressing a couple keys on a computer and winning, uh, you know, their top forties all the time. How does, as a musician who's who's practice and put in so much time and effort into learning an instrument, what is your view on the, or what is your thoughts on the idea of less and less and less instruments actually being played? Um, and more of it being computer generated? notice credit to the music. Cause it's certainly still an art, but right. what is your take on that as far as someone who's, who's, Who's a musician, an instrumentalist?
1: Well, you know, Christian, it's 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 something I can't. It's so difficult, you know. Like life moves on and technology moves on, and people want to hop on that bus. You know, right. get, don't don't stay behind. They don't want to stay behind. But at the same time, the music in general is being really, really affected by that type of you know mentality. Uh, I understand that technology is here to help. Uh, all of us in all of our different areas and in, in professional lives. Mm-hmm. But it really affects the music industry. Um, a lot of people are just now with the COVID, I understand a lot of musicians have to, you know, eat and pay their bills. And I understand that that's why they do their live concerts. And, and sometimes they charge for that. Sometimes mm-hmm. they ask for tips. I completely respect that. Uh, and they use all these technological tools like loop pedals and right. uh, special microphones and, you know, background backing tracks and stuff like that. And I can understand that. Uh I personally, I don't like it. Uh, I If I do a live show, I want to do it with just me and my acoustic guitar or just me and my electric guitar. And I don't want to I don't expect people to tip me for that or pay me for that because I understand the technology. As technology can be so good and beneficial, it can be bad. And if you have a bad internet connection, your your audio just fall down or break down or your video can break down or there could be bad internet connections and it just gets low. And how can people expect to be tipped or paid for a, a show, an online show that's so um, affected by a bad internet connection? So stuff like that to me. I don't really follow that. And um, I wish that, like you were saying, in in the pop industry, the the most I think I think it was all lost around 19, late 70s, mid 80s, when people were really, really playing instruments and being very artistic about things and, and creative. Uh, I think after that, we kind of just went the wrong, wrong path, you know. Christian, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I lost your audio. <laughs> There's nothing. I can see you, but I can't hear you. There you are. See? That's the problem I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, you're gone again. You're gone.
0: It's like you come back. That's so straight. Rare. So the, the, the issue is you have people like Taylor Swift who who are against the streaming stuff. How do you make money off of that, like an Apple Music or Spotify? How does that work as far as revenue goes for you?
1: Well, right now with the new album coming out, um, I, I do have my album on CD Baby. That means that my album is on Amazon Music, iTunes, Spotify, Um And it's it's difficult not to tell the the audience, don't go listen to my album on Spotify for free. Go ahead and buy it. Right. People are free to do whatever they want. But sometimes technology and the new life uh, affects musicians because, of course, Spotify is great for Spotify owners, (laughs) for the owners of Spotify, whoever owns that. But it really affects musicians because people will no longer want to buy your record for 15, 20 bucks. They will prefer to just go listen to it for free. Uh, In my case, what I've been doing with my new release is, yes, I tell people, well, yes, you can listen to my album on Spotify. You can go and pay 10 bucks on iTunes or 10 bucks on Amazon. But if you go buy it from my website, understand that you will be directly supporting a musician who's trying to make it work in this world, you know. This condition, uh, and people really have have appreciated me and supported me in that in that aspect. Uh, I also offer the album to be autographed when they buy it from my website, and people seem to like that as well.
0: Absolutely. Now here I come, the debut of the Jose Ramirez Band record. Talk a little bit about the concept and how that came to be.
1: Well, it's uh, since I came here to America the first time about four years ago. Uh it, it's always been a live long dream, you know, have my first record, my debut album. And um let's say about a year ago or a couple years ago, I started talking with Anson Thunderberg, the producer, uh, who, who's by the way, my favorite uh Texas guitar player ever. Um and I met Anson about three years ago here in Florida. Uh, he was doing a, a run of shows, a series of shows with Mark Hummel and, and Little Charlie, and they came through Florida. They played a few shows. I, I went to a show. I introduced myself, and I wound up on stage that night with, wow. with Anson Thunderbird and Mark Hummel. I didn't have my guitar with me, uh, but Little Charlie, uh, who unfortunately recently passed, uh, Little Charlie was gracious enough to let me play his Stratocaster so that I could play a couple of songs with Anson, you know. Um, and we met, we we just became great friends that night, and we started this great friendship. And fast forward a couple years from that, I'm thinking about recording my first album, my debut album. And I'm, I noticed that Anson had been producing younger blues musicians mm-hmm. recently. So I, I, I got in touch with him, and I said, Anson, I really admire you, and it would be my pleasure to have you produce my debut album. Let me know if you're interested. Wow. And uh, he came back and he wrote me an email and he said, Jose, as a matter of fact, I've been following you on social media and, you know, all your progress and then starting your own band. And I recently saw that you play a buddy guys legends with your band. And he was so happy for me. And he said, I'd be honored to be your producer. Um, So he just pretty much uh, started the whole idea. He put together the, the band for the album. It was his production. It was his crew, his musicians, and uh, we recorded it this past December uh, Uh, 2019 in Austin. I traveled to Austin. Uh, We recorded this album with Stuart Sullivan's uh, at Stuart Sullivan's studio, uh, Wire Recording Studios. And we are very proud of it, and it's doing great on the charts right now. So we are very, very happy
0: do you ever wish that you would have put out some music earlier on in the career? Or did you feel that waiting for everything to come together was, was more important?
1: I think, man, it, I think it was the right time. I think it was the right time. I, I wouldn't have liked. Cause here's the deal. I, I had two options. Honestly, I had the option of re- recording a more mo- modest album with a more modest um, budget mm-hmm. and more modest, Uh, Production, producer, and musicians. Or I had the option of having Anson take care of everything and put out a class A record. And I'm like, well, it's going to be my debut album. I have to make a decision if I want to go all in or if I want to stay modest because it's my debut album. I don't want to go crazy with a first album, right? And I thought about it. And you know what? I thought, like, I've always been about that first
0: impression. That's right.
1: And I want to make that first impression be good and and make sure that the the title of the album, Here I Come, reflects my life and my attitude right now. It's like, here I come. I'm here to stay. And I wanted to have the best of the best taking care of my songs and and my music. And I just, you know, took another leap of faith. It was a huge sacrifice, but it's already paying off.
0: Yeah, certainly. That's the thing I talked to Kingfish about. It's so hard to follow up a debut album that's doing so well because it's like I have to match this and yeah. maybe even be – I mean, is that is that another thing that's hard for you to compartmentalize knowing that, dang, how do I – I got to top this or does that make you just work harder?
1: Yeah, it, it really is a little overwhelming <laughs> knowing how well the album is doing now. When I come out with my second album, is like I'm going to be worried that, okay, my first album, topped the Charts, this one is not – number one. This one is number five. You know, it's it's going to be difficult, but I also have to understand that, like you said, I'm 32. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to be different a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. Uh, the way I hear music, the way I listen to music, it's going to be different. Not saying better or worse, but we all evolve. So I look forward to the upcoming records as well
0: absolutely what can jose ramirez fans expect out of you next year
1: wow man well uh i think they can expect everything they were expecting for 2020 <laughs> for 2021 uh as i said before having won second place at the ibc then coming out with this uh, successful debut album i was planning i had a european tour planned i had a u.s tour planned i had a canadian tour planned And it all crashed. So I am working really hard with my booking agent right now to kind of just transfer all of those bookings to 2021. Uh, And things are actually starting to get busy this year, starting August and September. Hopefully we'll be able to be back on the road soon. Uh, But I can tell everybody they can expect a Jose Ramirez band that's going to be busy in 2021, hopefully. And uh, there's going to be a a couple of very special CD release parties in which Anson Funderburg is going to be involved as well. He's going to be a special guest for this shows. So we're working on that. And um, we're just excited, you know, waiting for for the pandemic to really mellow down and let everybody go back to a little bit of a normal life.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your day to speak to me. I appreciate it thoroughly, Jose.
1: Thank you for having me, Christian. It's been great fun, and I'm glad you're enjoying the record. Thank you for supporting it.
0: Well, you heard it, folks. That was my interview with Jose Ramirez. Be sure to check out his new album, Here I Come, receiving strong praise from the general himself, Mr. James Mattis. Be sure to check it out. Link is in the description, like always. If you like what you heard, too, and you're a new-time listener, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the blues and keeping the music alive and well. We'll see you next time with Robert Conley-Farr on Monday, July 6th. Stay safe, and God bless.